This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. It's Tuesday, everybody, and I am Glenn McGeek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for June 10th, episode 931. Good morning, horse world. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned, And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on Horses in the Morning, and we want to welcome Karen back again this month for the monthly for the monthly endurance edition, which we I look forward to very much. And uh, before we get talking about endurance riding, Karen, you live in a town of Gardnerville, Nevada, right? Uh huh. Yes, it's also called the Carson Valley. And for those of you that were watching. Um, the Belmont and the Preakness and the Derby, and you saw a horse that goes by the name of California Chrome. One of his owners lives here, and, and it was kind of funny the other day when we were watching the race, and they were showing all this great video of where I live, and my husband says, oh, great, now that now there's going to be a whole lot of people that are going to want to move here. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, we're talking about which owner? Steve Coburn. Steve Coburn, who was the one who we talked about all day on Monday because of his comments after the race the other day. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you live in town, so have you ever met him? Or, what? you know, it's not a big town, right? It's not. I'm looking forward to maybe um, meeting him sometime. I think that would be really kind of cool. Maybe I can talk him into coming on the show. Uh, I know where, you know, by reading all the local news, where he eats. <laughs> you can stalk, stalk him. him. You can stalk I can stalk him. him. <laughs> it's the way we do things here at Horse Radio Network. So what's this That's town? right. I'll just, I'll just right. happen to run into him. I mean, I've seen enough of him on the news that I'm sure I'm going to recognize him now. now but yes, he's is, a definite local this, celebrity. And was it cool. all over town? I mean, was this just the the highlight of this town's existence? Well, kind of. You know, it was really kind of cool because watching a lot of my local Facebook friends, they were all going to the local, you know, the local casinos and bars and restaurants to hang out to watch the race and stuff like that. And all the marquees in town were, you know, saying go Chrome and stuff like that. So everybody was really supportive of you know, this horse, and we were all really wanting him to win the Triple Crown. Well, you know, after the show, we did our show on Monday, uh, it came out that he did come out uh, on several shows and apologize, and, and you could just see the his wife holding the knife to his back. <laughs> uh, 
sometimes we get a little carried away, us men, and we have I to know, be I, and you could tell she was trying to kind of stop him. But yeah, <laughs> he was, and he wasn't having no parts of it. He wasn't. <laughs> well, that's kind of cool that you lived. You live in the same town that the owners do, and and uh, uh, hopefully one of these days you'll you'll bump into him. Yes, that would be kind of a fun thing to just uh, get to meet him. And, and I know, you know, that um, he's put up a lot of framed pictures in some of the local restaurants and stuff of the horse and everything. Well, cool. So, and, you know, he's not done. He'll be cool. back for the Breeders' Cup. California Chrome will be back for the Breeders' Cup. I sure and, hope so. Mm-hmm. You know, ha- well, has a good racing career ahead of him. So it, it's not the last time we've seen Steve Coburn, that's for sure. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> good. <laughs> Jennifer, what is coming up on today's show? On today's endurance episode with Karen Chatton, we take things to heart today as heart rates take center stage. And then heading south, we are joined by Australian endurance rider Julie White. Next up, we answer a listener question about glue on boots with a little help from Kurt Lander of Renegade Hoof Boots. And then rounding out the show, Jerry Gillespie brings us up to speed on the latest in the AERC horse welfare reform talks. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. Very good. Thank you for that. And, Karen, now you had a horse that we talked about on the last episode who had just undergone colic surgery, Bo, right? And Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And now it's been a couple of months. So how's he doing? He's doing really, really well. I've been riding him. Um, I'm allowed to trot with him now. Uh, everything is healed up just really terrifically. He's doing super good. Um, he's back to his normal mischievous self. The other day, I noticed a big wet spot out in the paddock and looked, and the 150-gallon water trough was out in the middle of the paddock. What he had what? done is he had, he had unscrewed the drain plug, which I use pliers to tighten, drained out enough water to where he was able to move the whole darn trough and proceeded to move it around the paddock. (laughs) Really? Good God, what is up with this? (laughs) How did he unscrew? I can't even get those off the automatic waterers. I can't either, you know, but he's he's just a mischievous little booger, you know, so, uh, (laughs) yeah. He actually took the time to take his mouth and unscrew that thing, which had to take him 20 minutes. He did. Well, and the thing is, is the way the trough was backed up to the barn, he had to do it from inside the trough by putting his head in the water. What? (laughs) That's just crazy. (laughs) It, it, It kind of is, yes. And so... A while ago, because this is this horse's personality, I wrote a poem for him. You ready for this? It's called Mischievous Bay Horses, and this is how it goes. Pretty bay horses come in all shapes and sizes, shy and adventurous, full of surprises. With the misshapen halo and mischievous grin, Mike pulls out the stall mats and moves the feed bins. Shakes every bucket and rattles each pail. He carried me through history on the Pony Express Trail and delighted me for a day or three on the Tevis, for to finish is to win. Now who was the one with the mischievous grin? We traveled the countryside with nary a sail and never the thought of, oh, (laughs) can I say it? (laughs) Oh, crap. Crap. (laughs) I might have to bail. 
Down the trail he dances like in a ballet, then snorkels his way through a lunchtime buffet. He keeps me so busy, and yet all the while, his eagerness brightens my world and makes me smile. And what a treasure to ride a horse that isn't a dodo. That's my lovable, mischievous bay horse named Bobo. Oh, that was really good. <laughs> it's certainly I didn't know you were a poet. <laughs> I've written a few. <laughs> Over the what, do you, years, what else is yeah. she going to do with her time when she's up there riding? You know, she's writing poetry. That's right. Yeah, got plenty of time when you're an endurance rider to think about things. There you uh, go. Now, what do you um, so? What do you see about him getting back to work full time? Is he is that? Well, I've actually or? just entered a ride on him at, at the end of the month for uh, Sunday up at a local ride called Wild West, which we did it last year. And so I'm going to take him up there, and hopefully everything goes good, and we're going to give it a try and get him back to work. That way, maybe he'll stop unscrewing my drain plugs and moving my chops and my stall mat. And, you know, he's pulled down rain gutters that, you know, I need a ladder rain to gutters. reach, stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> what, 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 what do you think he was thinking when he thought, I don't like the water trough here. I'm going to move it to the middle of the field. What thought processes go through <laughs> a horse's head that makes him convinced that they need to do that that day? I don't really know. I, and how would he even know to un- how how to undo the plug? I mean, I, you know, because I mean, I use pliers to tighten that thing. It wasn't <laughs> like you hey. could just undo it like a lid on a bucket or something. But no, he's Karen, really good at stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Are you? How, you're in Nevada. How close uh-huh. are you to Area 51? That's it. <laughs> oh, it's pretty that. far south. It's at the other end of the state. <laughs> Okay, you're sure he's not an alien then? Huh? <laughs> oh, you know, anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> so what else is new from the last time we spoke? Well, that's really it. I've been, you know, getting him back to work, riding him and getting him out on the trail, both horses actually. I'm trying to keep the other one worked too, you know, while you know, Bo's recovering so that, that he doesn't get out of shape. So um, hopefully we'll be back in the game again pretty quick here, so it looks like things are going good. Well, now, Gardnerville is in the northern part of this, uh, of Nevada, right near, sort of near Carson City. Right, and we're just okay. on the other side of Lake Tahoe. Okay, so you're, all right, gotcha. And so you are, you are really at the edge of desert and mountains. You're kind of at the in-between point. Right. We're in the valley here. Um, so I'm looking up at, um, like, if you're familiar with Heavenly Valley Ski Resort, I can see some of their runs from the top of Kingsbury Grade up there. And then to the south of me is Topaz Lake, which is where um, Steve Coburn lives. <laughs> And, uh, and then um, north of us, I have uh, Reno and Carson City. Do you um, – so, so you're in a position where it's perfect for – actually, where you live is perfect for an endurance rider because you can ride in the hills or you can, ride, you can ride in the desert just as easily. Exactly. I'm really fortunate I don't have the trailer to ride. I can ride from my house and, and go out into the Pine Net Range and ride um, – you know, a different trail every day of the week if I want, because there's so much land. It's, I think Nevada is 86% BLM land, so it's 
um, public, mostly all public access, so we can use it for hiking and um, mountain bike riding or horseback riding, stuff like that. It's, um, it's really convenient. We're really lucky. Wow, that is nice. That is nice. I, except that you have to drive eight hours to any ride that you want to go on of any size. <laughs> Not really. I, you no? know, there's quite a few rides that are with within. Um, Less than three hours away, and many that are a half hour. So I'm okay. also really lucky there because I also, because I'm in northern Nevada, I can um, get to the other regions like the northwest. I can get to Idaho and Oregon in, in a day's drive. Uh, you know, it's maybe 400 miles to get to those places, and I can get to the mountain region and down to southern California, which is Pacific South. So I can access quite a few rides all year around, it's just a matter of getting over the, the mountains if there's weather. But I'm really fortunate that I do have so many uh, great places that I can go ride, in addition to it, right where I'm at. <laughs> and you do a lot of mountain driving, so we have to ask you, because it's a favorite question here on Horses in the Morning, is a Dodge, Ram, or Ford? <laughs> Ford. <laughs> oh. She's a Ford girl. Okay, I we'll know. we'll we'll let you continue we'll forgive to the you. show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's a 450. It's a one and a half ton truck. And, and oh wow, well, that'll it. get you over the mountain. <laughs> yeah, we wanted something a little bigger at the time, you know. So it, it's worked out okay. But, yeah. <laughs> that'll get <laughs> you over the mountain, but dead. boy, if there's a gas station, you have to hit it. Uh. <laughs> yes. Yes. I have a separate tank on my um truck to an extra uh, 40 gallons so i i can i have quite a range i can go probably seven or eight hundred miles without having to stop oh wow that's so further that's than us glenn yeah that's yeah. a lot further <laughs> i usually i usually don't i usually stop more frequently than that but but if i had to well now uh you're going to do your endurance tip which is which ties in directly to the product of the month which comes immediately after that so, okay. yeah, so why don't okay. we uh, um, talk about your endurance tip? Okay. My tip is something that every horse owner should know how to do and become comfortable with, and that's taking their horse's heart rate, um, not just for resting, but after a workout, learning what your horse's recovery rates are really important. So I'm just going to describe for those that haven't done it, maybe, um, how to take a pulse with a stethoscope. The first thing you do is you put the stethoscope against your horse's chest in the girth area behind the elbow. You know, make sure you put the other end of the stethoscope in your ears. <laughs> Listen <laughs> until you hear a strong, steady heartbeat and use a watch with the second hand and count the heartbeat for 15 seconds and multiply by four. Or if you want to listen for a full 60 seconds, you can. And then you'll know what your horse's heart rate is. A normal Resting heart rate for an adult horse is between 30 and 40 beats a minute. As you get more proficient at it, it will get a lot easier for you to pick up. And a great way to learn how to take pulses is to volunteer the ride. And if you do have trouble using a stethoscope, say you are hard of hearing or something, um, we're going to be talking about heart rate monitors, like you just said, coming up next. Now, so let me ask you a couple questions about that. So it's important uh, to do your horse's heart rate, to know that resting heart rate, because every horse is a little bit different. 
It is. And then that way you'll know if something doesn't seem right and you check the heart rate and, and say is it 70, then you know something's you know, possibly wrong, you know, unless, of course, he's recovering from a hard workout or something. But, you know, for a resting heart rate, if something's off, you know, you'll know and you're going to want to monitor it so that you'll, you know, you'll know if you need to call a vet or get some help if you need to. Okay, so that, so when you start a, a race, do they, do they do a resting heart rate? Uh, do, you, do, do they have that as a basis point to start from, or are they, yeah. or are they just looking for a certain heart rate, uh, a working heart rate from all horses? How does that work when they do the vet checks? Right. When you vet in, they, they'll take your horse's pulse and write that in on the vet card, and then they have that to start with. And then during rides, you have to recover to a certain number depending on what region you're in. Some use 64, some use 60, some might use 56. And then as soon as you meet your criteria, at least um, where we are here in the United States, that's when your um, break or your end time starts. Okay. And then they want to see it uh, get down to what before you head back out again? Well, normally once you come in and you meet your criteria, then you go and you pass your vet check, hopefully, and then usually you're good. It's up to you to kind of keep an eye on your horse. And what I usually do is um, after I've been in at the finish for 30 minutes or so, I like to check and make sure my horses are dropped down into the 40s because that's normal for them. And then that kind of gives me, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, some confidence that they're okay and everything's good, even if they have already passed the vet check. Do breeds tend to have different resting heart rates? They can. And and some horses that are fitter might have a little bit lower rate, maybe, maybe not. It just depends. I've had um, horses with rates as low as 24 and 26, for oh, resting, no. which is pretty low, but usually, you know, mine are more in the 30s, like maybe 34, 36. Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, let's do this. Let's go to a, a, a new guest that we have here on the show, and she's going to be coming on with us every month to help you out, so you're not pulling all the work around here. Um, <laughs> so, She's going to come on every month. Her name is Kristen Lacey. She's of Distance Depot, and she's going to help us with our product review every month. And I've I've thoroughly enjoyed your your product reviews, but I know that you were going, okay, we we need to get some help with some part of this. So (laughs) Karen's going to keep doing the endurance tips, but uh, Kristen's going to be kind enough to join us for uh, the product reviews. Let's hear what she has to talk about today. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Um, we love having you on board to talk about uh, once a month about uh, product reviews and also tell us uh, about the Distance Depot. Thank you, Karen. I'm happy to be here. We're excited about this. The Distance Depot is a trail riding store, and um, basically we carry all of the equipment that you need to trail ride with. We have apparel and a line of heart rate monitors that we're going to talk about today and some sheer comfort saddle covers, and we also manufacture the uh, beta-biothane tack for your horses that you can use while you trail ride. Right. Yes, and your website address is? 
thedistancedepot.com. And I, I went and looked at it earlier, and you have, like you said, you have a wide range of products, everything a trail rider or distance rider could need. So let's start out um, talking a little bit about the heart rate monitors. Tell us about the different monitors you carry. Okay. Well, to start off, the VMAX brand has been available for nearly 25 years. They're um, very fast, accurate, and very user-friendly. We have complete systems that you ride with where you can see your horse's heart rate while you train. We have two systems, a basic unit, which is very simple, on-off heart rate, and the enduro system, which has a few more bells and whistles. It has the time of day, a high-low alarm, and a nightlight for riders that are who are competing in the dark. Um, We also have a handheld heart check unit um, that will quickly and accurately show you your horse's heart rate um, while you're at an endurance ride or even just around the barn. We have a couple of other, um, uh, for instance, an adapter kit, which will adapt the human chest belt, um, including, you know, Garmin GPS, Mm -hmm and other units that are out on the market. So you can adapt the human chest belt that you might use if you're a runner to pick up your horse's heart rate while you ride as well and still get your GPSs as well. Right. And tell us about some of the other things um, connecting your heart monitor through the Garmin can do as far as recording your workouts and you know yeah, uploading it to a computer. Right. Absolutely. There is a program that... Um, you can download um, that Garmin tells you about so that you can sit down next to your computer and the Garmin um, will actually then upload onto your computer your entire workout so you can see your elevation, your horse's heart rate, um, how fast you went, how far you traveled. It's a pretty nifty tool. It will actually draw a little map for you and show you exactly where you went. So mm-hmm. a lot of fun to to see that. Um, Very useful to see your um, improvement over time when you're working a horse and getting it in condition. Do you also sell all the accessories and parts, like if someone needs a replacement electrode and wires and stuff? Yes, that's actually the the nice thing about the VMAX brand is all the parts and pieces um, are, are replaceable. So if, for instance, we had a fellow one time where a goat had chewed through his wire. You can just <laughs> buy a new wire. So, it, you know, it's, um, again, very user-friendly. You can change the batteries yourself. No need to send it in to us. Um, <laughs> you can get the battery and, and change it out, and you're all set to go. Good. Yes, I remember years ago some of the older monitors trying to t- replace a battery, and <laughs> that never went well. <laughs> so, so it's nice that they're user-friendly now. Do you still also stuff like packs and things that you can put the monitor in, you know, when you have the wires attached to the horse, put the receiver in? Yes. The the systems, if you buy the complete system, either the basic system or the enduro system that we offer, um, they do come with a little pouch that you can attach to the front of your saddle um, or to a breast collar if you ride with a breast collar. I actually keep mine in the front of my stowaway pack, which we Mm -hmm. sell all of these packs so you can put it um, just in the front uh, or um, at the front of your saddle. Right. I see you've got quite a collection. I'm looking at your page now with all the different models. You also have the heart belt and the handheld monitors. Tell us a little about those. Okay. 
the heart belt is designed to be used either around the barn or at a competitive ride or an endurance ride after mm-hmm. you hold your saddle. So the heart belt, the horse will wear the heart belt, which has the transmitter attached to it, and it um, is placed in the heart girth area of the horse, and then will transmit the signal right to your watch that your your VMAX watch that you're wearing. And the handheld unit is just that, a handle with a transmitter on it that you place on your horse's side down by his elbow in the heart mm-hmm. area, and that transmits the, the heart rate um, to show up on your watch so you can actually see that your pulse is 64 or 34, whatever it happens to be. Now, mm-hmm. Karen, uh, having never used one and having never ridden 100 miles before, um, <laughs> and, and, and really not wanting to, I just want to... <laughs> I want to, how much do you rely on this, and how much do you look at this during the ride? You know, I think it's, to me, it's been more beneficial as a training aid. Um, it, during the ride, I think, it, you know, it's good to know what your horse's working rates are. But the most benefit I, I think I've had, I mean, Kristen can say her, her opinion on this too, is watching the recoveries and how quickly your horse's pulse drops. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true, and it's a lot of fun um, if you're working with a lot of different horses or if you don't know what your horse's heart rate is during work. You can see, uh, you know, his his fitness improve, um, so it's a great tool to ride with in that sense, but it's also valuable to know your horse's resting heart rate if you, you know, if you have a situation where you need to call the veterinarian, you can tell him his heart, mm-hmm. what the heart rate is. If you don't have a stethoscope, it's a handy tool to use that way. Um because, you know, pain will can certainly make a horse's heart rate increase, um, as well as stress and hard work. And with these tools, you can monitor your horse's fitness during training and see at a glance how high or low his heart rate actually is. Mm-hmm. And, and what they're at, you know, after your workout's over, you yeah. can go put the belt on or the handheld and just check it periodically and make sure everything's where it should be. And, and that's what's so easy with using these monitors is, uh, you know, you can um, just get an idea of w- what basically, you know, your horse's levels are at and then keep an eye on it. So, you know, if something's off, you know, sometimes the horse can tell you something's off, even if they're only, you know, a few beats higher than normal. Yep, and they are used widely at these endurance rides and, and competitive trail rides um, where, you know, they they check your heart rate before you can present to the veterinarian, um, and then you have to recover and so on. But um, you pretty much see everyone using them at the vet checks. So. Now, does it keep a history too? The Garmin will keep a history um, okay. because it stores data. Um, the VMAX units were, you know, they've been around for quite a long time, so they're considered a little bit older technology than the Garmin. The Garmin is newer technology, so it does store data and lots of it. <laughs> is, the, is the next generation going to be tied to your phone uh, through an app on the phone? Oh, well, that's a very interesting question. Uh, now, now, the problem with that is you have to have a signal, and 95% of the time you don't. Right. When you're <laughs> like it seems like. Right. And your, your battery will wear down probably a lot faster, too, if you're trying to use a phone for something that's like true. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and the Garmin 310, for instance, has a 20-hour battery life, so it's um, it's pretty widely used. In fact, the shift to keep for the U.S. endurance team um, pretty much requires a lot of these international or riders with international hopes 
um, to have one of these garments so he can see how fast they're going and they can pace themselves and so on. He can see their heart rate and all of this information from the data that it does store. Okay, so tell us about the batteries in the in the watches and in the transmitters themselves. Like you mentioned, the Garmin will last for 20 hours. Then do you recharge it? It, yes, um, it can be recharged um, either through the power outlet, of course, or on your computer. Um, typically, if you're out riding um, and you need to charge it, you could probably charge it at a vet check. Um, but for the most, most riders are going, you know, the 20 hour is going to be plenty of, of battery life. But um, the VMAX will last months and months, um, you know, because they just run off a typical typical watch battery or transmitter battery that you can buy at um, any hardware store or Walmart. Or, so so that's an easy fix there. What uh, price point are we looking at, uh, price range? Um, the VMAX brands, the entire system, start at around 120 The Enduro system is a bit more. I, it's, I think it's 130 The handheld units with the watch, um, if you already have one of the systems you ride with, you already have the watch, so the handheld unit is sold separately um, and or together with a watch. So there's a, a price. And there, are, they, are they interchangeable between the VMAX and the Garmin Actually, they watches? Aren't. They aren't. Okay. No, the, our adapter kit is simply a series of wires that will adapt the human chest belt that comes with either a Timex or a Garmin, one of the newer GPS units that, that's out there. So essentially we send you wires that adapts the human chest belt to pick up your horse's heart rate. Okay, okay. It is a series of wires as well, and the horse has electrodes against his skin that transmits the signal to the watch. But they just run on different frequencies, the VMAX and the, and the newer GPS units. Karen, I'm sure you've been at rides where you were more concerned about the rider's heart rate than the horse's, too. So, um, <laughs> Kristen, it there is, is the Distance Depot, and it's very easy to find. If you want to learn all about the heart rate monitors, you can go to thedistancedepot.com right on the homepage. Uh, you'll see a big VMAX and, and Garmin banner, and just click on that. It takes you to all the different options. If somebody's just getting into this the first time, maybe they're a serious long-distance trail rider, or maybe they just want to, you know, they want to see what their horse's heart rate is when they're working in the ring. Um, they can call you if they have questions because, you know, there are a lot of options, and it is somewhat confusing for somebody who has never done it before. Right, absolutely. Um, if I don't answer the phone, one of our friendly sales customer service Folks will be happy to answer all of your questions. Our toll-free number is 866-863-2349. Feel free to call us anytime. We'd be happy to answer all of your questions because I'm sure there are some things we haven't touched on, and if there are any questions, we'd be happy to help. Well, that was uh, Kristen Lacey of uh, Distance Depot. Thank you so much, Kristen, for joining us. We really appreciate it. And do you want to introduce our next guest? We have our repeat here. Yes. Last month we had Julie White from Australia on, and we didn't get all the way through some of the topics that we wanted to talk about. And so I invited her back this month as well so we can compare Australian versus USA endurance riding. Um, a little bit about Julie. She's been riding since 1984. She's ridden in every state in her home country of Australia. She's also ridden in the USA and the UAE and has completed the Tevis Cup twice. 
Um, she's interested in introducing the sport to newbies, especially juniors, and her favorite event is the, the hundreds. And she's also um, done um, what they call their multi-day rides, their um, marathon rides. And so here we are, Julie White. Good morning, Julie. Welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you, Karen. It's great to be back. Well, last time we started talking a little bit about the differences in uh, Australian endurance riding versus in the United States, and we only got part way. We didn't get all the way through, kind of had made a list of some of the topics I wanted to talk about. So um, I appreciate you coming back on so that we can get through some more of those topics because I, I find it really interesting to compare the differences between our countries and, and how the same sport is um you know, ran and organized. Yes, yes, there's, there's a quite a few significant differences, isn't there? Uh, meanwhile, a, a lot of things are, are probably the same the world over, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and, our, and in our country, we're considering, you know, a lot of new proposals. Um, the, my next guest that I'm going to have on is going to talk about um However, a lot of these things you guys are already doing. So let's just dive right on in. One of the first things, though, is you had mentioned to me about the ride times. Your, what is your maximum allowed ride time for your 80 and 160-kilometer rides? Okay. So generally here, the 80-kilometer rides, uh, we allow 10 hours elapsed time for. Uh, that does include a compulsory one-hour hold with a full veterinary inspection usually about halfway round mm-hmm. um, and the the 160s are generally one day 160s and they have 24 hours elapsed time which I think okay. is the same yeah sure sure yes and for those that don't know their kilometers um 80 is uh, kilometers <laughs> is 50 miles and 160 right. is 100 right okay correct so, so now tell us a little bit about your rider warning and point penalty system that you have okay well look that's a it's a great question can i just say that it is like like everything i guess we're trying to do here you know it is a work in progress we we have um, quite a, um, a reasonably complex um, yeah, system called the early warning system. I, I guess one of the things to be mindful, any of your listeners can get online and read you know, about it under our rules. The one thing that comes to mind with it is it is there, I guess, to be able to, to be used as a big stick um, to come down hard, I guess, albeit fairly rare, on perhaps repeat offenders who may have quite a few significant vet outs. Um, so yes, it is fair to say that it is there as, as a tool um, to be able to suspend riders uh, or repeat offenders. But can I just also add, before I go in any more, that mm-hmm. we do like to think of it a little bit also, and this is probably what you wouldn't read in between the lines if you did just read it in the in the book, is that it can be a bit of a support system. I guess if you're a newbie and you come in and you've got a new horse and you're all enthusiastic and you vet out consecutive mm-hmm. with perhaps a lameness issue, um, by the time you've edited out three three times in a row for lameness, you may be getting a letter stating, you know, what's going on and we need to talk from your state body. 
Mm-hmm. If you can imagine, perhaps we could assist that person in talking to them about, um, you know, what's going on and why or whom they might be best advised to see or speak to. So I'm not sure if I'm making myself clear, but yes, we can use it as a tool to suspend once riders accumulate, you know, X amount of demerit. Bear in mind that I guess we are open to conversation and discussion with people when they do have problems. Right, and, and when if somebody does accumulate enough points where they need to have a, what they call in your rule book a mandatory rest period, how is that determined and how long are those rest periods usually? Okay, so a mandatory rest period can be a little confusing. You could go to an endurance ride and have a fairly unfortunate um, major vet, vet out. So perhaps a severe metabolic, mm-hmm. albeit once again quite rare, but let's use the example. The treating vet at that ride could then write out a mandatory rest order for that horse. We're talking the horse here. And he will, he or she will basically say, we will not allow this horse to compete again for one month, six months, 12 months. So that's a, that's a situation at a ride where the horse has been in a situation where it's needed to be written a, 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 a compulsory rest order from competition. The other uh, question is really once a rider or a horse, remember the early warning system, you do need to separate the horse and the rider in this situation. Okay. So, so a horse can accumulate points and the rider accumulate points, so try and keep those two things separate. So do they? Do many of your riders have, you know, do they compete on more than one horse? Oh, yes. Okay. Um, obviously, you have your, your professional stables, um, which, uh, interesting point, Karen, because on our ride entry form, there is a place for a signature for the person responsible for the horse, um, which is of great interest to us if, and this is jumping the gun a little bit on one of your your other things I think we're going to talk about, which is swabbing and the possibility of a positive swab. Okay. If a horse, and, and I'm just jumping right out of line here, but oh, okay. we want to know who the person responsible for the horse is. Mm-hmm. So in answer to your question, if I hop on a horse that is trained and belongs to someone else, um, the idea would be that I'm really not the person. I'm responsible for the horse in terms of once I've on, I'm on his back competing on him and I you know, obviously look after him the best of my ability. But I would get the person who owns and, or owns slash trains, either or both sometimes, uh-huh. to sign that. Because if that horse by chance um, was swabbed and came back with a positive swab, it's actually the person responsible for the horse and not... Uh, a rider who may find themselves in a situation where they, they've been asked to hop on a horse and ride it and uh, somehow ended up in, in some pretty deep water, which, um, yeah, so... Okay, um, so and, and when, you, get to, yeah. when you refer to your swabbing, that's basically uh, what we would call a drug test, correct? Correct, yes, okay. that's right. Okay. okay, and I was reading a little bit about that in your rule book, and... It, Apparently, you do also have you have some medications that are allowed. Tell us about that. 
Yes, Karen. Now, not being fully up to speed on on all medications and 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 the, mm-hmm. you know the um, the uh, days by which you have to cease, you know, medicating or whatever. I do believe that our swabbing here is based on the FEI standards. So mm-hmm. um, I, I do know that there are certain uh, drugs that are allowed to be used as ulcer treatments. Right. So not, um, I know that is that's correct. So I know that's perhaps quite different for you. I don't think in America you're allowed, are you, to to use... We're not allowed to use that um, specifically. However, I know they're talking about it, so maybe someday um, that might change. But for now, we're not allowed to. Um, And and also, I found it interesting, the riders have to follow anti-doping rules, which, you know, that doesn't apply to us here in this country. The the riders can be as high as a kite if they want. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Karen, I probably need, I'll, I'll stand corrected on this. Um, my understanding is, well, we don't test drivers. What okay. we have the ability to do here, so yes, you can take all your pain relief and your anti-inflammatory and, and whatever potions um, to a point. What we have here is the ability to, to, to um, not allow a rider to continue on due to their, I guess, physical slash mental state. So okay. um, I don't know of anything where you, you would be tested as a rider or where you're not allowed to take X, Y, and Z. If, if you were to come off, be knocked out, put back on the horse, get to the checkpoint, not feel very well, say to the checkpoint people, I'll have a couple of jelly beans, hop back on, get back into camp, but clearly you don't know your name by the time you get back in there, then mm-hmm. it's fairly right. common sense that we have the right surprisingly to some people that we would obviously have the right to not let you go out again. So if you were intoxicated or we thought you were engaging yourself (laughs) with your horse. (laughs) Right, right. You have to be coherent enough. Right, right. That's right. So, yeah, I don't know of anything that we can't. I mean, you know, within within the realms of normal, that is. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Okay, now let's talk about your vetting process at the finish. Just, um, just kind of give I'd us a brief I'd love to talk about overview. our vetting process. Okay. Two different, yeah, two very different styles of vetting we use here in Australia. One is standard vetting. When you go to a ride that has standard vetting, and this style of vetting can be chosen by the ride organisers consulting with their veterinary team as to which style they would prefer to use. Standard vetting means once you cross the finish line from what we call a leg, you call them loops, your Mm -hmm. riding time stops. You must then present to the vet within a half an hour for a full veterinary inspection. You must be 55 beats per minute or less at this first check and then all okay. subsequent quick checks after that, you must be 60 beats per minute or less. Okay. The other style is what essentially they use in FEI. We call it vet gate into hold. Um, essentially, when you cross the finish line from your leg or loop, your riding time does not stop. Uh, it's only when you present your horse for the veterinary inspection that your riding time actually ceases. Okay. Uh, once you've successfully passed that veterinary inspection, you will then have a like a predetermined um, hold time of perhaps 40 minutes or 
30 minutes or whatever the the panel have decided the whole times are. And are you allowed to keep your um, tack on when you vet? Not usually, Karen, no. I mean, I have been at rides where they have a trot by similar to at Tevis where the vet stands and watches you trot past to see that everything appears to be okay. And we call that more a trot by. If it's a veterinary inspection, all gear off, full inspection from one end to the other. So um, where we are right now, it's summertime for us. Is it your winter right now? That's right, yes. It is? Okay. And do you do your rides go all year long, or do you you know have periods uh, where you don't have very many because of the weather I and think, stuff? I think um, it's it's was seasonal once upon a time. Now, you know, pretty much there's only a couple of months maybe over midsummer. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes some of the states might might just have some training ride weekends on early, but um, more and more there's there's more and more rides uh, throughout the year. But oh, one interesting thing that comes to mind, Karen, here that I thought I'd I'd mention is that only a horse and rider from the middle or heavyweight division can actually win a ride. I and see. it's a significant mm-hmm. difference, I guess. Um, well. I think it is. Um, yeah, so in our Tom Quilty, yes, we, we have junior lightweight, middleweight and heavyweight, but you do need to be from either middleweight or heavyweight to be able to win the, the gold cup. So Okay, hold um, on a second. I, it's the first time I've ever heard those terms used in relationship to anything but boxing. So, um. <laughs> well, well, it does include your gear, Glenn. So um, your weight, it does include your gear. Do so, we have that here? You know, Yes, we have weight divisions. Mm -hmm. Do they call them the same thing? Juniors, featherweight, lightweight, middleweight, and heavyweight. I didn't know. See, that's something we've never talked about. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I've even got friends in my region that have changed their weight division so they don't have to compete with me. (laughs) So is it the horse and rider and track and everything? Now, is it just the rider or is it the horse? What's the weight based on Oh well, the weight here is based on the rider with with tack, so with your saddle, essentially, okay, so not on, not really the dog. I'm not understanding this. If okay. I'm three, if I'm 300 pounds and my horse is is a lightweight, <laughs> why does it matter what weight the rider is? I could take, be riding a yeah, draft horse, the horse and weigh 90 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Take the horse out of the equation. We're only interested in how much weight the horse oh. is carrying on top. <laughs> Look, when the when the course is this is only my view by the way, so you can you can edit all of this out if you like. It's only my view. If you've ever be, picked up a forty kilo bag of oats, which is someone converted eighty five pounds. If you've ever picked up that weight and put it on top of your horse, plus yourself, if you're a, if you're a lightweight or middleweight rider, you'll understand that it's a significant job, you know, that the horse then has to do. I guess, but when the courses were more more uh, difficult, i.e., Tevis, those bigger riders, you know, can choose to hop off and run uphill, down dale, and they'll be able to keep up with perhaps a small rider who stays on the horse. That's really interesting, I, I think. I'm so glad that you were able to come back on the show and talk to us again, Julie, but we're out of time again already. I agree. I was going to mention some of our fun um, names of our rides that we have here. Okay, go real quick. 
Okay, Tumbarumba, Gundagai, Turrawina, Tambawara, Tundabung, Kurong Wilderness Ride, where we do ask the original owners, the Aboriginal people, permission if we can ride on their land. So that's just a few of our fun <laughs> names that we have here. <laughs> so thank you so much for having me. Well, that was Marianne Kennedy, and you'll never in a hundred years, Karen, guess what the name of the song was. <laughs> I like that song. That was great. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cheery. It gets you up in the morning and makes you want to go ride your horse. You can find Definitely. all of Marianne, Marianne Kennedy's music at MarianneKennedy.com or search for her on iTunes. Just search for Marianne Kennedy. You're listening to Horses in the Morning. I am going to geek here with Karen Chapman. Of course, it's Endurance Day, the second Tuesday of every month. We talk all about endurance, covering all aspects of it. And we have Coach Jen over in the producer chair as well. One of our terrific sponsors on this show every month is Renegade Hoof Boots. And that's a hoof boot that Karen uses every single ride that she goes on. And we have a question that came in for a listener for Renegade Hoof Boots. So we got Kurt Lander on here to answer the questions. Good morning, Kurt. Good morning. 
Thank Good morning. you so much for getting up early to join us. I know it's early where you are, so. We oh, have to... it's not too bad. The uh, sun rises early here in Arizona. <laughs> you know, that's what that's what uh, Karen said. She said, "This is the first morning I've been doing this show that I woke up and it wasn't too bad because the sun was coming out." So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Kurt, we had a, I'm not going to read the whole email. It's about 12 paragraphs long. But basically what the listener wants to know, her name is Carol, what she wants to know is how do you use glue-on boots and wh- who should be using glue-on boots and, and all the basic questions like how long do they stay on. And, you know, so what we're really asking for is glue-on boots 101 here. Okay. Well, uh, glue-on boots represent – one option for the barefoot endurance horse. Um, They were originally developed about 2001 when we were uh, involved in endurance competition and searching for some kind of hoofwear protection that was reliable. And so this uh, product here came into being and um, I would say that today it's it should be looked at as a an ultimate competition uh, hoofwear device, um, certainly an alternative to say metal shoes, wherein uh, you know the glue-on provides excellent concussion and overall hoof protection. Um, the strap-on naturally provides similar coverage. Uh, and for a lot of people, they work really well, um, even for competition use. But every now and then, a rider might have a really competitive event where they need maximum reliability. So that's where the glue-on comes into play. Um, the uh, Over the testing period that we've done over the years, they've proven to stay on very, very uh, long, you know, like up to eight weeks. Oh, wow. uh, but that's but that's not how we think they should be used. Um, most people will install them a day or so before an event, and then ride the event, and then remove and then remove them. Okay. Now, do you so is this something that the people can you know that the user can put on themselves, or is it something a farrier has to do? Um. Anybody can learn to install them, but, you know, like anything, there's a bit of a learning curve. So uh, on our website, we have videos that demonstrate, you know, the preparation method. The most important thing is getting the hoof wall clean and prepared to receive the adhesive. So if you have basic skills, you know, if you're already doing things to the hooves now, like... um, maintenance rasping and whatnot, then you could learn to install the glue-ons. Now, one of the things that I've heard as a negative to glue-ons, and maybe you could address it, is uh, the glue apparently is like a two-part glue where you have to mix it together and then it becomes sticky. Um, and if you don't get it right or if you're not, you know, it, the glue is the is the part where things can break down here, not, not your boot, but the glue itself and, and doing that part right. Is that true? That is true, the adhesive being two-part, um, the cartridges need to be fresh. Um, when they age, they can uh, one side can get a little bit thicker than it should be. So when you dispense the adhesive, maybe it doesn't flow quite right. So things like that can occur. Um, we've searched for other kinds of adhesives. Um, 
there's uh, some one-part polyurethanes on the market, but we really don't uh, agree with the use of them for this application. They're slower, and uh, you have to tape the boot on and whatnot until the adhesive dries. So this is really the best method. It's just you have to be aware when you're dispensing the glue. It, the glue will change color a little bit, and you can tell when there's problems. So you just have to be prepared. So for the most part, you don't really, I mean, as long as the glue is right and everything, you don't have a problem with them coming off during a ride? No, again, you know, if properly installed, um, you know, they'll they'll stay on for eight weeks or longer. Um, again, we don't recommend they be left on that long, but that's just to show how reliable that they are. Hmm. Interesting. So can they be reused? So I've put them on once, and I've, you know, done my 100 miles, and now I've taken them back off. And by the way, taking them back off, is that hard to do? Because they are glued on. Um, so taking them off when they're installed properly is a little bit difficult. You have to obviously pry the glue flange down from the top using some kind of a tool similar to a screwdriver and whatnot. Um, so because of that difficulty, um, a lot of people don't reuse them. I will say when we were first developing them, we had limited ability to produce them, and so we did tend to reuse them. Um, mm -hmm. Reuse requires, once you get it off, hopefully mostly in one piece, you have to grind the glue out, the old glue, in order to prepare it for reuse. And are they, compared to your other boots, are they less expensive, more expensive? Yes, they're, they're less expensive, okay. definitely. Yeah, because yeah. you're you're getting uh, much uh, less use out of them than you are your other boots, which tend to last for yeah, a long time. Yeah, you're getting less use out of them, and, uh, you know, there's less material and labor involved in the manufacturer. And uh, how about uh, an important question to all <laughs> endurance riders, perhaps the most important question, do they come in colors? Definitely do. They come in eight <laughs> fabulous colors, just like our strap-ons. Well, I, I would say that you probably couldn't make them unless they were in color, so you would have heard about it. Um, <laughs> now, how about water? You know, does water affect them? You're going through streams. You're going through, you know, the things that endurance riders do, all kinds of conditions, snow, water. Does that affect them at all? No, not really. The water is, or the adhesive is water resistant, so that's really okay. not an issue. Karen, you've used them in the past too, haven't you, at certain times? I, I have. Um, I prefer the strap-on version myself just because they're so much easier. You know, when you're done, you just pull them all off Take and them you're off. done. Yeah. Right. But the glue-ons have their place. You know, they're definitely um, something you want to have in your bag of tricks if you're an endurance rider and you're keeping your horse barefoot. The advantage you have, though, I, I think one of the advantages you have also with the regular boots is that if one happens to come off, which happens very rarely, but one happens to come off on a ride, you can carry an extra one along. That's much more difficult with uh, with these, right? Yes, that, that is true. Um, replacing a glue-on during an event, it it can be done. You know, for somebody who's skilled in doing it, um, it can be done rather quickly. I've seen, uh, you know, at uh, international events where glue-ons put on in, you know, three, four minutes and, Away the horse goes, and you know, um, my phone was making noise there. Sorry. Um, 
Do you live near Area 51 is my question now. <laughs> <laughs> we asked Karen that well, earlier. We now we need to ask you. We're, we're on the edge of the earth here, so maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I love that ring. I have to get that ring. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, okay, this has been great. It's been very informational. I hope we answered the questions of the listener. Carol, I hope we uh, answered your questions. And you can find more information. There are a couple great videos. Uh, I was just uh, on your website. It's at renegadewhofoods.com. And go to the Gluons tab. You have to look at Karen's picture first. And then you go to the Gluons tab, and you can find a couple of videos on there about how they're put on and, and how they work. So, uh we really appreciate you joining us this morning and filling us in. My yes, pleasure. Thank you, Kurt. You're welcome. Have a nice thank day. You. Thanks again for your continued support of uh, the Endurance Day. We appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Kurt. Well, there we go. That answered a lot of questions. Yes, that was nice. Are we ready for the next guest? Not yet. Okay. Uh, Jennifer is trying to get the guest on the line at this very moment. All right. So you're stuck with me for the moment. <laughs> well, he's a, he's a veterinarian, right? So, uh, yes. you know, they're they're always tough to get on the line, but J- Jennifer's working on that now. Uh, what, what, oh, we, we got a, while we're waiting for our next guest, while we were waiting here, we got a, and I forwarded it over to you, and you took a look at it. The FEI sent out a press release, and it was timely because it was right during the show here, FEI Bureau mm-hmm. approves endurance rules revisions, and I know that the FEI has been looking at doing some uh, rules revisions. Uh, and the, there's a twelve-paragraph email here that talks about them approving the rule revisions, but not mentioning what any of them were. Right, which was <laughs> kind of interesting, you know, because you know a lot of the um, the issues involved are that they're not following the rules that they already have in place. Right. So we'll so make more rules. That's what governments do. I guess. It sort of seems kind of silly. If, uh, yes, if they're not following the rules that they already have very well, then, yeah, let's make some more. You know, it's funny. I, I, I keep calling the FEI government because they act like one. And I, I, I have gotten an email or two saying, you realize the FEI is not a government. And I say, they're as close to a government as anybody gets. <laughs> they're referred to as a governing body, right? So uh, I can call them a government. And they act like a government, right. like in cases like this. Now, they did do one thing. Because Princess Haya's husband is one of the ones that has always been at the heart of the issues with endurance, um, and she is the head of the FEI, they did come back and a committee voted, the committee voted that the second in charge will now be in head of all the endurance sports, and I guess she'll have nothing to do with it is what this is saying. So it looks like she's going to uh, be out of the endurance picture altogether. Uh, wow. In theory. Okay. In theory. <laughs> Let's see how that goes. Anyway, okay. enough FEI politics. Well, no, we're going to be doing more here coming up. <laughs> so. A little bit, yes. <laughs> the next guest is Dr. Jerry Gillespie. He began writing regularly at the age of four to go to and from school. He's owned horses and has ridden every year since. He became involved in endurance in 1962 when he joined the faculty at UC Davis and started conducting research on the Tevis. 
1966, he began riding and betting endurance rides, and he still currently enjoys both. He's got five horses in training for the current ride season, and he serves as the chair of the AERC Research Committee. Um, good morning, Jerry. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. I thought I would have you on to talk a little bit about the AARC horse welfare reform motion that is being discussed currently. Terrific. Okay. Be happy to discuss that. Great. Well, like, they had a um, mm-hmm. AARC board meeting, I think it was last night, um, and I'm just curious, do you know if any of these um, proposed motions passed or are they at the point yet where they're going to be passed by the board or is it still in the discussion phase? I can't, I don't know whether they took that up last night. My guess is they probably did not. Um, I have a feeling that uh, the overall proposal will be broken into parts and they'll probably take it up uh, in different segments. But the answer to your question about what happened last night I don't know. Okay, okay. Well, let's just dive right on in. The first um, item on the list is to have initial triage and treatment availability at all rides, including IV fluids. Um, Give us a little overview on that. Well, I I don't know why we really wouldn't uh, want to have that uh, available. I mean, in other words, what we've learned is that those few, first few uh, minutes, hours uh, that a horse begins to show signs of deteriorating are really important in terms of being able to uh, respond. And often the response needed immediately is IV fluids. So uh, I think in general um, that has been available at almost right. all AERC rides, and uh, I think what they want to do is encode that in the rules so that uh, we are covered in that regard. I was going to say I'm surprised if it wasn't because you would think that, you know, for insurance reasons and other reasons that it would be, you know, so I was kind of surprised. Yeah, Yeah, and, you know, just um, for all kinds of reasons, humane reasons and all of those uh, very fundamental things uh, to our sport, uh, you would think that that would be uh, a given. But there are circumstances at uh, some rides in which the veterinarian uh, may be at another spot in the ride yeah, and true. the horse that is deteriorating is somewhere else. And so this is just uh, really emphasizing the need to have if it ain't available to go to where the problem is. All right, that makes sense. All right, um, on to number two, a 30 minutes to meet recovery pulse at the finish line with exceptions where needed for rides with finish lines far away from final checkpoints. And I know this is something they've been talking about for, for quite a while. Um, so tell us a little bit about that one. Well, I think, um, again, as you mentioned, it's been in the works for quite a while and when it first was proposed there was a lot of resistance um, by uh, ride managers and some riders to having this as a rule but I think much of that um, uh, blowback has has really gone away and I think uh, 
the community now really recognizes it as being a, a sensible uh, rule and one that uh, can be implemented at all rides and should be. So I, this is one that I believe is going to be not controversial uh, in this go-around and is likely to become a, a rule. Uh, right. It just makes eminent sense. And I've been kind of watching at the rides for the last season or two, and I think most riders want to vet through as soon as they're finished and get their completions. So I really don't think it's going to be that much of an issue, except, like it says, with the exceptions where needed when the finish line might be a couple miles out and it takes the rider half of that time to walk back to the right. camp where the vet is. So I, I think that most most of us already are vetting in right away, don't you? Yes, yes. And I, a lot of... Um it was an option, as you know, the last maybe year or two. And um, in my experience, uh, the rides in our area, at least, it all of the veterinarians have insisted on it uh, pretty much. So it's been well tested, and I think it makes sense. And I, I don't think that's going to be one of the more controversial new changes. Uh, which one do you think is going to be the most controversial? Well, I think uh, probably the uh, one that it requires that there be uh, a sufficient number of judges working the ride. In other words, um, riders should have at least two control judges okay. working. Uh, that seems to be one of the more controversial. And again, I think uh, it's going to... Um, eventually be um, accepted in the community. I think the other two that uh, are controversial is a recheck uh, within two hours of completing the, the ride. And uh, again, and then uh, having all horses examined before they leave the ride site. Mm -hmm. These are really important uh, in my experience, I mean, what we have found is that the horses that just finish and uh, for a, a span of time thereafter, they're looking really pretty good. But then uh, their deficits uh, begin to catch up with them and uh, how they manage those deficits in electrolytes and fluids and, and uh, other uh, issues within their body uh, mm -hmm over time begin to show up and that's when veterinarians really need to take another look and it's in some instances all that's needed is a passing look just to make sure that horse is okay uh, and so I again it's a critical time that sort of two hour period uh, mm -hmm. post finish and then uh, I think we all agree that we really don't want to send horses out on the road or in the trailer for right. a trip home or uh, that are not well. And so, uh, again, I think there's quite a bit of pushback, and it's really, I, in my experience, in logistics, how do we manage this? Uh, the veterinarians are very busy at the end of the ride with uh, finishers and re-exams uh, within the 30 minutes and, and uh, best condition and those sorts of things. And now we're asking them to 
uh, in one way or another see the horses two hours after they finish. And right, think, that could could cause some backups if you've got a large field of LD riders all exactly. coming back at the same time the 50s are in for one of their checks or, or their finish or something. So I can yes. see how that could be logistically something yes. that needs to get worked out. Okay. Yes. Okay. And I think, okay. you know, all of those that, that we're having pushback on uh, have to do with uh, having some time to think through logistically how are we going to do this. And I think right. each ride is going to have to look at how do we how do we go about this. Right. And I see most of these items are already being implemented at rides like the Tevis. Yes, the Tevis has essentially all of them, plus um, uh, they're using the cardiac recovery index, uh, which mm-hmm. we are proposing to use um, in many of our western regional rides um, this year, and, and uh, along with all of the other proposed rule changes. So uh, several of our rides are, are implementing these, and uh, we've designed a new uh, rider veterinary card to accommodate uh, all of these changes. And, uh, you know, again, all of us are going through this phase of getting used to uh, these uh, rules, but I, I, I see them uh, as eventually uh, being just what we do. I mean, I uh, many of these, as you pointed out, are have been successfully in play at Tevas and mm-hmm. uh, certainly at the FEI uh, rides. They've uh, have used much of what is proposed there. All right, and the the third one on the list is. Um, lowering the recovery pulse at the finish from 68 to 64. Right. And I think that's a, a modest change. And what my experience is, and I suspect you have experienced this as well, is that veterinarians often request even less. I mean, I, it's not unusual mm-hmm. for me to go to rides where 60 is the, the cry uh, for recovery right. Right. Uh, right. pulse. One thing I've noticed writing in all the different regions I have is that there's really no consistency. I've written under pulse rates of 64, 60, and 56. Is there any talk about making things more um, level across all the different regions as far as, you know, setting like a set pulse criteria? I suppose there is, but um, this is an area where I think we need to have some flexibility because mm-hmm. of the wide variation in temperature, humidity, and terrain, and, sure. and that we have at different rides. And so some um, flexibility in uh, the, the pulse rate, I think, is uh, probably fine. But I, that said, you know, I doubt if there's uh, very many uh, circumstances where it ever should be above 64. So mm-hmm. I think lowering it to 64 is a is a, a good decision in general, but allowing flexibility uh, to go below. Okay. Uh, and number four, horses must be at least six years of age to start a 100-mile ride. And again, uh, I don't, I've not heard of anyone that objects to that. I, uh, we have known for years that, you know, uh, six years and probably it's more like seven or eight are when mm-hmm. the horses are really 
skeletally and uh, morphologically mature, and and that we're asking a lot in a hundred mile ride. And so, I think the six year uh, minimum age is is sensible. And, and again, I don't think there's much pushback on that idea. Right, that makes a lot of sense to me too. Um, okay, the fifth one, um, body condition scoring. The horses can be no less than a three on the body condition scale or greater than an eight to start an endurance ride. Um, and you know, I know that's practice, something new. They're, they're going to do at right. Tevis this year. So. Right. And, um, okay, wait a minute. I, I, Let me jump in here. Anything right. under a three or over an eight is going to die before the end of the ride anyway. So <laughs> I don't get that. Well, you, you may be right. Um, <laughs> but I, I certainly... You know, I really think that in practice, um, in one way or form or another, um, a lot of these horses that are outside of that uh, acceptable range have been one way or another eliminated. But this encodes it and I think is an important thing to do. And um, I didn't uh, have any idea of what uh, the pushback might be, but what I have heard is that there is essentially none. I think uh, the community has accepted we need to have these extreme animals uh, protected in a sense. And uh, so if they're not uh, within the acceptable range, they should be eliminated immediately. Yes, an eight would be quite heavy. (laughs) Well, it really would. And uh, yes. Uh, And you know, would really have a difficult time in, in certainly our western regional rides. Yeah, you know, right. an eight is going <laughs> to not pass number three, the pulse rate, uh, after about 12 steps. So either way, yeah. they're out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you're right about that. <laughs> I know. All right, the sixth one, which we kind of briefly um, touched on earlier, exams on all equines by a control judge before they leave the ride site, but no sooner than two hours from when they cross the finish line. Right. And um, yeah, I think we've discussed that. It, um, it's, again, a logis- logistical problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if uh, rides have sufficient number of veterinarians, they'll be able to probably... Uh, do this without too much strain. Now, the problem will be where you have uh, on the edge of uh, uh, coverage by veterinarians, and uh, then we're asking them to stretch it a little further at a very busy time in the ride. So uh, it's going to what be. Would the, what would that exam entail? Well, it's a, uh, you know, we often use the word eyeball exam, and you know what uh, I like to do is um, just walk through the uh, uh, camping area where the horses are and see them and uh, take a, just a few minutes looking at them and talking to the uh, the rider if possible and uh, just making sure they're okay. If I suspect the horse is uncomfortable, then I'll ask them to uh, take the horse out and I'll do a little greater exam in terms of uh, heart rate and, and gut sounds and a few other things. But I, uh, so it depends on what you see as you kind of walking through the, the, the group of horses in camp. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, the next item is a standardized control 
judge wide cards should be used nationally with sections added for the body condition scores and graphs for each quadrant of the gastrointestinal exam. Right. And uh, we designed a card, a, a group of us, uh, that would be comprehensive. Um, I, and it's being used now at different rides. And in a way, that's sort of the beta testing of the ride card. Mm -hmm. And it's another one of those situations where uh, veterinarians and veterinary uh, secretaries or scribes are going to just have to get used to a little uh, more comprehensive card. The other thing that uh, we are uh, hoping will come out of all of this is that um, if you have a comprehensive card, uh, we'll be able to do what they do at Tevis and then test actually some of the parameters that we regularly use uh, in our examinations and um, make sure that, uh, number one, that we are doing them in a standard way, but also uh, how much do they really help us. And uh, mm -hmm. what has come out of the Tevis uh, research is that uh, certainly those that are in any way associated with heart rate can have uh, some value, and that's been shown. So we need to uh, collect this data and, uh, and in a standard way and then look at it to make sure that making, you know, doing the best we can. And, and there are things that uh, are on all cards nowadays that really one wonders whether they're uh, useful, <laughs> and then there are things on the card that are only used occasionally, but when they are used, it's important, for example, rectal temperature. So there are okay. a number of things that we're just going to have to get used to in terms of standardizing a card. Okay, and we just have time left to cover the one item we haven't talked about yet. Rides should have at least one hold on distances of 25 miles or greater. I uh, I wouldn't want to be in a ride that didn't have a hole. <laughs> I mean, I just uh, again uh, for the horse's sake and the rider's mm -hmm. sake, uh, you need to have that break and an, and uh, and a veterinary exam uh, for those rides. And uh, I'm a bit surprised that uh, for limited distance rides, um, that's not a, been a requirement. So you know, I'm. Uh, all four, and again, I don't think that is one that's going to be controversial at all. Right, and most riders, you know, are going to be smart enough to give their horse a break anyway. Right. If, you know, right? If, right. If we hope. Um, paying yeah. attention, you hope. Yes, you you've got to account for yeah. the people that that aren't that um, you know smart about taking care of their horses. Well, it's been fun talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. And uh, good luck with getting these motions passed. Thank you. And uh, I really appreciate what you're doing with the broadcast. Thank Thanks. you, Dr. Gillespie. Bye-bye. Well, there you go. There's all the details. You know, a lot there of that was... Go. I, I didn't mean to make fun of it, but a lot of it was kind of like, okay, if you're a in a 25-mile-plus with a horse that has a condition of 8 or above, you're both <laughs> going to die before the end. <laughs> and you're, whether you want to have a mandatory break or not, you're probably yes, going to get one. there will be many of them, yes. <laughs> you don't need a mandatory break. There are going to be a lot of involuntary ones. Uh, <laughs>
sorry. Well, you know, and, and really most of these things are already being done at most of the rides I go to, um, you know, and especially Tevis. Tevis is always on the forefront of, you know, having a little more veterinary supervision just because of the nature of, you know, that course is so difficult and they they you know they're trying their best to look out for the welfare of our horses so you know a lot of these things i definitely agree with um you know some of the things um you know where they need to have exceptions and stuff that kind of you know could be a gray area and um and then the other the only other one i think logistically is sitting in on some of the larger rides to do a second a wellness check on the horses yeah. two hours later, but hopefully well, they can just, get that worked out because it makes sense. That just uh, adds to the complication of doing a ride. That's all. I mean, you know, getting everybody to stay and you just everything involved with it. Um, right, and you know, most of us were definitely paying attention and watching our horses ourselves. You know, but it's always good to get a second opinion and, you know, someone else might catch, you know, the vet might catch something that maybe didn't, you know, especially if you're a new rider and you're still learning your horse. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the upcoming events. Upcoming events. Wow. We have over 50 rides on the calendar Whoa. for the next month in all the different regions. So if you want to look up where your rides are in your area, go to aerc.org and look up the ride calendar and you can search by your region and see, um, find your state and find out what region you're in and pull up all of the rides. And um, they're all over the country. For those that are keeping track, the Tevis is only eight and a half weeks away. <laughs> it's coming wow. up quick. Well, I guess I know what we're going to be talking about on the next show, aren't we? Well, it's August 9th, so yes, people are going to, in another month, are going to all start to get the, you know, Tevis, um, you know, jitters. Tevis fever. <laughs> Woohoo! Well, Tevis let's fever. let's plan on talking about Tevis in July when you come on. We'll definitely have to okay. do that. Yep. Okay. And right now, AARC has a um, new writer for first-time members summer special where you can join for just $45 for the rest of the season. So if you're planning on doing a couple of rides coming up and you're new, now is a great time to join. And you can do that by calling the office. Their number is 866-271-2372. You can also join online. They'll charge you the full amount, and then you'll get a credit in a couple of days. So now is the time to join AARC and get riding. Very good. And I wanted to remind everybody before the show's over here today that uh, Karen is back with us on the second Tuesday of every month. If you missed the past episodes of the Endurance Day, you can go back to uh, you can go back to the website at horsesinthemorning.com and just search for Endurance Day and you'll find all the different episodes there. And you can go back and take a listen to all the past ones. And I also wanted to to say that tomorrow is a Wednesday. Jamie will be back uh, Wednesday morning, 9 a.m. live here at Horses in the Morning. And it's the EquityMSG.com Celebrity Trivia Challenge on Wednesdays. And one of our listeners, Karen, has challenged Jennifer to the Celebrity Challenge. So oh, Jennifer is going to be the celebrity. She normally makes the questions and makes them so difficult nobody can get any of them. So <laughs> Jamie is making the questions this week, and I guarantee you that Jennifer's questions will be harder than the listeners. 
probably. Can we ask how many endurance sources does it take to unscrew a drain plug on a 150-gallon water (laughs) (laughs) cloth? Apparently one Arabian-type endurance source does it just fine. (laughs) Although we don't know if he didn't have help. Maybe, you know, somebody came over to visit. We don't know. Uh, Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. And Karen can be found at? uh, KarenChatton.com. KarenChatton.com. She writes a terrific blog that you're going to want to follow. And if you're into endurance at all, you're going to want to go over to her blog. She has lots of terrific articles that she's written, and apparently some poetry, too. Um, so <laughs> if you missed the beginning of the show, you have to go back and take a listen to it, because Karen was, Karen was being the poet and quite good at it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a terrific month here, Karen. Now, you go out today, and you stalk, uh, you stalk the owner of California Chrome, okay? <laughs> I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I doubt he's back yet. He's probably still doing Apology Tour uh, 101. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yes, he's been all over right. every everybody he can get to interview him, which is probably Apology good. Tour. Now he's back in the good graces with his wife again. So You know, I was kind of watching during the Good Morning America. That's the one I watched interview. Uh, I was trying to watch and see if she had a little whip in her hand, like a little crop. <laughs> so if he said anything wrong, she just beat him in the back. But I didn't see any sure she wanted to maybe maybe like a little knife she was sticking his leg or, or uh, maybe we should check his hill bulb and see if maybe he's got a ding <laughs> poor guy i'm not feeling too bad for him he did win a couple of races and is a few million dollars richer now so i no mean kidding. i know yeah. <laughs> We're not going to feel too bad. Well, thank you, everybody. We appreciate you being here on Endurance Day. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Jennifer. And uh, be safe. Ride safe and wear your helmets, everybody. Thank you, Karen. All right. Bye. Bye.